0: Go ahead, if you have your Bibles, I'm going to have you turn to 1 John. Um, We're going to be going all over the place, a lot of passages this morning. I'm going to try to give us some place we can sort of camp out in a little bit. So if you want to go to 1 John, that would be great. We're going to take a minute to get there. Uh, You guys are like, didn't Chris go through 1 John in May? Uh, He did. And I mean, you guys don't think you have that down, do you? I mean, I'm assuming you don't think you have it all down pat, so we're going to be hitting some passages in First John. Uh, we're going to spend the next nine weeks uh, unpacking the fruit of the Spirit, and we're going to explore this question, which is, what are the character traits that distinguish a person who is becoming more godlike? What are the character traits that distinguishes a person who's becoming more godlike? And this is what we said, uh, sort of a summary statement about our series last week. We said, "The fruit of the Holy Spirit is a visible outworking of the invisible inworking of God's spirit in us. And so we unpacked what some of that outworking, what what needed, what kind of outworking needed to happen Um, what kind of in-working needed to happen so that out-working could actually happen. We talked about regeneration. We talked about actually coming to a saving faith in Christ. I think it might have been the most evangelistic message that we've ever had here at Substance in six years. But today we're going to unpack the first fruit of the Spirit listed in Galatians 5, which is where we get our lineup of the fruits, um, which is love. And so the question is, well, why are we doing love first? Are we doing it because it lists it first? And the answer is, yeah, they put it first. So we're going we're gonna to do it in chronological. We're going to do it in the order they gave it to do us. Um, one commentator said this, love appears first because it is the greatest quality and that it most clearly reflects the character of God. And so everything, what we'll know about the love of God is that everything else flows from the love of God. And so for us, for it to be a... Character quality, a particular fruit that needs to keep growing and expanding in us. It needs to start there so that all these other fruits that we're going to be getting into over the next nine weeks will have a foundational point of which to launch out from. Every year I'm reminded that I was born on the anniversary of D Day, which again was uh, the largest, this is what I was told, the largest seaboard invasion in history that took place on June 6, 1944, when troops invaded the Normandy coast to liberate France from Nazi rule. Not my words, Wikipedia, all right? Just throwing it out there. That was way too slick for me, the way I just said that, all right? Um, One of the most famous movies um, depicting this at least in recent years, this movie called Saving Private Ryan. Some of you guys have seen that. All of you have seen it. But it was actually just re-released in theaters last week. And now, for those of you who haven't already watched it like a hundred times, it's the story of an army captain just so happened to be played by Tom Hanks who goes on a search with his squad to save the last surviving brother of these four servicemen that were were killed in combat. And what's significant is that these men are sent on a mission to save a fellow soldier that none of them have ever met. And in the end, it ends up costing Tom Hanks everything. And by the way, the movie is 21 years old, one of the biggest movies of all time, so if I just ruined it for you, you were never going to see it anyway at this point. but Saving Prior Ryan, it, it speaks to something intrinsic in us. It speaks to an almost fundamental belief we hold to about love, which is that it's at its root, it, it's, it's self-sacrifice. It's self-sacrificing for the good of others. And in fact, Jesus tells us in John 15:3, he makes this statement about love. He says, greater love has no one than this, than someone laid down his life for his friends. And, and, he, and he said that to illustrate what the Bible means when it talks about the kind of love that God has given to us so that others might be given this same love through us. Wayne Grudem, he's a professor theologian out of Phoenix, Arizona. He said this, he said, God's love means that God eternally gives himself to others. He said it's part of his nature to give of himself in order to bring about the blessing or the good for others. Well, if, if that's one of the ways that we want to define love, and I think it's, I think it's pretty solid, um, what, what would be the opposite of that? What would be the counterfeit to that level? Tim Keller has a, has a counterfeit definition. He says, love's counterfeit is selfish affection where you are attracted to someone and treat them well because of how they make you feel about yourself. So what we would say is that, well, that, that's love with strings. We would say that there's a there's a lack of authenticity when we give or we receive that kind of love. And so what we know about love and, and the way that God defines love, the way the Bible defines love, is that the nature of God's love is that it's Trinitarian love. It's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, who exist as this eternally unified bond of love out of which All creation flows. So here's what I'm saying. Before the universe existed, a love between the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit was in eternal existence already. It was flowing. It was circulating. It was happening. And I lack so much language for this. I lack so much language for this, but I'm going to try. But it was this Trinitarian love that planned, purchased, and now preserves your salvation. Right? It's, a, it's what we would call a gospel love. And it has to be this kind of love. It has to be a gospel love or else we don't really understand how we are loved or how to love. All right. A guy named Michael Reeves said it like this in his book, Delighting in the Trinity. This is what he said. Listen, he said, we can never really love the God who is essentially just the ruler Right, We think of God as like the ruler of all things, which he is, but this is what he says. He says we can never really love a God who is essentially just the ruler. He says if salvation means God letting me off and counting me as a law-abiding citizen, then gratitude, not love, is all I have. And that, ironically, means I can never keep the greatest commandment, which is what? Well, Matthew 23, to love God and others. Jesus said this, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. He said, this is the great and first commandment. And he said, a second one, I'm just going to throw another one on top of it. He said, the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And he said, on these two commandments depend all the law and all the prophets. In other words, if you are loving God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and you are letting that love flow out to your neighbor, you are keeping the law. You are keeping all of the laws that really fall in underneath those two commandments. Michael Reeves, this is what he goes on to say. The fact that Jesus is the son really says it all. He says being a son means that he has a father. That is who God has revealed himself to be. Not first and foremost ruler or creator, but father. So this just helps us get an idea of what we're talking about as we go through the fruit of the Spirit and we start with this word called love. And what we understand about this kind of love is that it's a gospel love. And a gospel love gives generously from the love given to us by God the Father Through Jesus, his son, which is then sealed, the Bible tells us, by the Holy Spirit. Now, since God's love is self-giving by nature, it means it has the power to conform our intrinsically selfish natures. I mean mine, not your guys's, right? Into self-giving natures. Right. It means it has the power, God's love has a particular unique power to conform our intrinsically, meaning like what we were born with, what really makes us up, our selfish natures into self-giving natures. Reflect on that for like 10 seconds. The power of God's love to conform and transform our selfish natures into self-giving natures that are like God, that are like his son. Imagine if someone made a deposit into your bank account for, let's just go big, for a billion dollars. Is that not enough money for somebody here? I can just keep, bump, I can keep bumping that up. But let's just say somebody deposited a, a billion dollars in your bank account and said every time you withdrew a dollar, two more dollars will appear in the account. So since you can't spend it all, your job is to spend as much of it as you can. Well, you might ask, well, what's the best way to spend it? Well, it would appear the best way to spend it is just to keep giving it away, right? And this gives us a picture of a gospel love. A gospel love that gives generously from a love given to us that will only increase our joy as we invest it in others. So since our command is to love God and others with this particular kind of gospel love poured into our hearts by the Holy Spirit, we want to ask this question that what are some things we need to know about this self-giving gospel love? What are some things that we need to know about that? Well, here's the first And we're going to begin by asking this. What is love? I know there's there's some song called, What is Love? And I know it's all like starting to go through your minds right now. I don't remember what it is and I ain't singing it. But what is love? When we talk about love, what is it? Well, this is what the Bible tells us about love. This is how we begin our rudimentary understanding of even even knowing what it is. The Bible says that God is love. 1 John 4, 7 through 8. And this is where I told you guys to turn. And this is what John says. He says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. So in other words, we wouldn't say one of the interesting things about the ocean is that it has some water in it, right? No, no, the ocean is water. It is a body of water. So what John is telling us here is that God is, Is love. He basically embodies it. And then John goes on to tell us that it is the self-giving gospel love of God is what forms our character and our actions. It means we are born of God when this love has flowed and been poured into us. So here's the here's the other side of that. If gospel love does not form our character and actions, it means we don't know God. Because God is love according to John. Now, let me say it like this. If you put air into a balloon, it inflates, right? Unless there's a hole in the balloon, that thing is going to blow up when you put air in it. In fact, we don't really consider a balloon a balloon until it has air in it. That's how we know a balloon. I've never talked so much about balloons in my life. If this is your first time here, I will never repeat this illustration, right? So to know God's is to be loved by God and love others like God loves because God is love. Let me say that again. That's a little Dr. Seuss right there. Let me say that again. To know God is to be loved by God, number one. And love others like God, number two. Why? Because God is love. It is the air that we breathe and that we take in that conforms us to that particular character. Because God is love. Moving on to verse 10 in 1 John 4 it says this, In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and he sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. Some of you might say this, but Ronnie, I'm loved by people who I would say don't know Jesus. Are you saying that this isn't love? Because it it feels kind and gentle and faithful and peaceful and joyful. Well, I'm saying it's not gospel love. Why? Because it's not being produced by passions and desires that have been reborn and renewed by God and are progressively becoming more like Jesus, right? So it can be reminiscent of God's love, but ultimately it's going to fall short because it's not flowing from a regenerated heart that's indwelt by the presence of the Holy Spirit. So when we are abiding in, in God, when God is abiding in us, we have a particular kind of love, uh, John just told us, that is perfected in us. We have a perfect love in us that is growing us to a particular time when we see Jesus face to face in glory, when that love will reach sort of its zenith, its pinnacle. And that's the way in which we are able to be loved and then love others with this peculiar love that is only defined by God himself. So what is love? Well, God is love. Well, then what is the nature of God's love? What is the nature of it? We just chatted about it a little bit. It is a self-giving love. It's a self-giving love, Romans 5.8. God shows his love for us in that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. John 3.16, maybe you've heard this one. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. That whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Galatians 2.20, Paul says, The life I now live in the flesh I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So we don't read about the love of God without hearing the word given or gave. You're not going to read about anything that is intrinsic to the nature of God who is love without understanding that he gives He gives his love to you and he gives his love to you by giving himself to you, which is love. Can we reflect on that for one second? The love that you have been given in God is through a person named Jesus Christ, which is now being preserved inside of your heart by the spirit of God who is giving testimony that everything we're reading about right now is not a lie but is actually true and that is one of the ways that you are going to experience the love of God so then what is the evidence then that you've been saved by God's self-giving love well we know three things minimum here the first thing is that the evidence we've been saved by God's self-giving love is that we keep his commandments. 1 John 5, 3 tells us, for this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments. And his commandments, John said, are not even burdensome. But that's one of the evidences that we keep his commandments. Secondly, we don't love the world. 1 John 2:15, John says, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him and the third thing that is evidence that we've been saved by God's love is that we love others John 13 by this all people will know that you are my disciples that you have love for one another so we keep his commandments we don't love the world and we love others piece of cake right like we're all there we're all on that not so much right And so this is where God's grace comes into our lives because none of you all are are just not loving the world as much as you shouldn't be loving the world, right? None of you are keeping God's commandments perfectly. None of you just had a week where all you did was love everybody else like a champion. That didn't happen, right? And God knows that. And that's why the love of God is so encompassing that it's motivated by the grace of God, right? So the grace of God forms with the love of God so that even when we are not loving God as we should we have God's grace and his love to keep us and hold us fast like we just sang about. So again to keep God's commandments to not love the world and to love others requires a devotion to God. What does it require then? What do we what are we doing? What do we do just wake up? Do we just eat like better food in the morning? Like what do we do just increase our crossfitting during the week? Like, what's the thing that it's going to take to actually practice these particular things without bumming your life out all the time, without falling back into exhaustion? Well, Jerry Bridges says it's a devotion to God that we need, that comes from a transformed inner motivation. This is what Jerry Bridges says. He says, devotion to God is the ultimate motivation for Christian character. And then he goes on to say this. He says, love is not so much a character trait as the inner disposition of the soul that produces them all. That's what Jerry says. In other words, without love, none of the fruits of the Spirit will have anything to flow from or be anchored to. So if you're trying to be faithful, man, if you would like to experience peace, if you just think, man, if I could just be a little more humble and gentle, if I could show a little more kindness, but if there is a complete absence of love in your life, There's nothing for those things to be anchored to and flow out of given that love is the first and most clearly defined character trait of God because that's who God is. Does that make sense? So then here's the question for us is how do we grow then in this self-giving gospel love? I have three things. The first thing we want to do is we want to ask for God's love to increase and abound. I I tried to come up with something more complicated, but that's just what the Bible says, right? So the first thing in how to grow in this self-giving gospel love is ask for God's love to increase and abound. When Paul was writing the Thessalonians, he said, may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all. And we do the same for you. So Paul's prayer for the Thessalonians was, man, we want to increase. And we not only want to increase, but we want to abound in these things. So part of being a Christian and walking through this life alongside of other brothers and sisters who affirm your faith, who are about the same things that you are about because you've been saved by the gospel of Jesus Christ. Part of that is asking God and pleading with God, saying, God, I want to increase. I want to abound in your love so that I can grow in my practice of it. So we ask God. Here's the thing. If we ask God for something that he wants for us to have more than everything else, is he not good enough to give it to us? This goes back to what we talked about at the beginning. It's to stop seeing God the way the Bible doesn't see God. The Bible sees God as father. Father. We must see God as father. You must reflect on that when you go home today and in this week. Reflect on God as father. Some of you guys, that is very hard for you to do, given the father that you had. Ask God that he might start changing and transforming your view of what a father is based on who he is now as your father. It'll be a process. But how do we grow in this kind of gospel love? We ask for God's love to increase in amount. Secondly, we immerse ourselves in God's love letters. We immerse ourselves in the words that God has given us to show us the kind of love that he has for us. Uh, Psalm 119, the psalmist writes, In verse 46, for I find my delight in your commandments, which I love. I will lift up my hands toward your commandments, which I love. And I will meditate on your statutes. So what the psalmist is saying here is he's saying, I, I'm drawn towards God's word. I love God's word because I love the author of those words. And the more I immerse myself into the words of the God who is defined and described as love, I'm going to understand and feel and experience and taste and see that love. Do you see the intentionality behind this? You see the responsibility that's placed on us? In this, So we want to immerse ourselves in God's word. And then finally, how do we grow in this gospel love? We want to practice God's love by keeping his commandments. We talked about that earlier. John 15 says, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, Jesus says, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be free well that's going to attach us to joy for next week but John was clear he was clear about some things when he talked about God's love right he was clear in 1 John 5 3 when he said that the Father's commandments are not burdensome right well what makes something not burdensome well when love is its motivation so when, uh, when M and I when Melissa and I were dating We live, what was it, about an hour and 15 minutes away from each other at one point for months on end. Some weeks, man, we, you can judge us, but we made that move, we made that drive like almost daily, right? We made that drive almost daily. It was no burden for us. We just wanted to be together. We just wanted to spend time again. Never once have I looked at him and said, you know what? I'd sure love to get that gas money back. I mean, man, that... What were we thinking all of that time, just growing in our love, nurturing our relationship? Now, man, we spent thousands of dollars in that six months. This is insane. Why did you make me do that? We're fighting now, right? Help us here. No, never once have we said that, right? God's love poured into our hearts. It powerfully transforms our love for him, which then extends to others, which provides us then with right motivation to exercise grace toward one another turn to 1 Corinthians 13 this should be familiar with for some of you 1 Corinthians 13 this is the love is chapter at the very end picking up in verse 4 Paul writes to Corinthians, he said, look, this is what love is. Love is patient and kind. Love does not boast or envy. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Verse eight, love never ends, he says. So Paul just lays out. This list, this litany of everything that love is, the way of love. Jerry Bridges did this very interesting thing where he rephrased all of this um, to point out love as a motivation and how we exercise grace towards one another. How do we practice love towards one another? Well, one of the things that we have to be asking ourselves is why and where's my motivation? Am I I loving somebody else to manipulate and maneuver them? Or am I loving them with a motivation that comes from Christ, which says, I'm just giving myself to you because of what I've been given. Here's how he laid it out, Jerry Bridges, not my words. He said, I am patient with you because I love you and I want to forgive you. I am kind to you because I love you and I want to help you. I do not envy your possessions or your gifts because I love you and I want you to have the best. I do not boast about my attainments because I love you and I want to hear about yours. I'm not proud because I love you and I want to esteem you before myself. I am not rude because I love you and care about your feelings. I am not self-seeking because I love you and I want to meet your needs. I am not easily angered by you because I love you and I want to overlook your offenses. Then he finally says this, I do not keep a record of your wrongs because I love you and love covers a multitude of sins. So in our practice of loving others with this gospel love, with this deep love that's characterized by the very embodiment being in nature of God that we now have inside of us, We have to pray that God continues to transform and renew our passions and desires for him so that our love doesn't collapse on itself. So our love doesn't turn into something that looks like love and can be faked like love. But at the end of the day, it's there just to get us what we want and what we desire. Now, is our practice of love at its pinnacle? Is it ever perfect? It's not. Our practice of love is not perfect. Christ's love is always selfless. Mine is always mixed with selfishness. But that doesn't mean we wait to practice love to our neighbors, to our brothers and sisters at substance. Because it doesn't mean God can't or doesn't apply our imperfect love in someone's life for the deeper good. In fact, being a practitioner of gospel love is how we learn the joy that comes from no longer living for ourselves and needing to go after God to continue renewing the motivation for our love. Do you see how that works? And here's what's so comforting for us this morning is that it's safe. It's a safe place for you and it's a safe place for me to no longer live for ourselves. Why is it safe? Why is it safe to give away something that you may never get in return from some people? Well, it's safe because you have such a secure and a belonging love from God. The love that you have from God is so secure It can't be removed. It's always in abundance. It's always on the increase. Let's turn to Romans 8. So that we can be reminded once again of what God's love is. Romans 8 31 says, What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? That's the security you have. That's the security I have, knowing that God's love is unstoppable. Is there anything else in your life that you can say that about? I know some of you are saying that about some things in your life. And at some point, The security that we have in those things is going to falter, it's gonna splinter, it's gonna crack, it's gonna just explode at some point. But Paul says, if God is for us, who can be against us? What can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not? Think about that line right there. How will he not? How will God not also with him graciously give us all things. Do you see the logic Paul is using? He's talking about if God is love, if it's intrinsic to his being, if it's intrinsic to his nature, how can you worry about giving this love away that has been given and offered to you to the degree that it has? 33, he says, who shall bring any charge against God's elect? Who? Who's gonna come against you? It is God who justifies. 34, who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died, and more than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. And then he says this, one of the most phenomenal passages in Scripture, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? You notice he just didn't like leave it to your imagination after that. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ, Ethan Crumlick, Tell me, I'm just going to back away here and why don't you write that in, scribble that in and then we'll chat. No, he told us and he tells us very dramatically what shall separate us. He says, shall tribulation, shall distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger or the sword. Yeah, I know you got to go back 2000 years for some context with some of those. But he's saying, shall any of this separate us? He covers everything in that. Everything in verse 35 that could possibly happen that you might think would threaten the love of God in your life. He's saying, it's no threat. He's saying it's no threat. He says, as it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. We're in a particular vulnerable place at people that hold to God's truth. Which is why we have the security of his love poured into our hearts. And he says, verse 37, no. In all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Man, we should just stop and pause there for one minute and think about think about what he said right there. Think about the implications of what he said. And then ask yourself this question as we end. What will you do with this much love? What will you do with this much love? Because if you find yourself in Christ this morning, you have all of this love. And it's a love that is there in written form. And it's given to us to encourage our hearts as the spirit continues to bolster it inside of us. What will you do with that amount of love that is incomprehensible? It's even beyond what can be said in the written word. What will you do with this much love? I know what we need to do. I know that we need to receive it. We need to receive this love. We need to believe God for the love that he's given us. We need to reflect on it. You need to think often about God's love. What are the the things that you find your mind always snapping back to? Well, this is about disciplining and training our minds to reflect more fully and more consciously on the love of God. We need to receive it. You need to reflect on it. You also need to revel in it. You know what that means? It means you need to thank God for his love. You need to let your mind form just minutes and hours and weeks and months that form into patterns of regular gratitude giving to God. Because you have a God that embodies love and he's poured all of that love into your heart. So you need to revel in that. You need to acquire a disbelief, a good, healthy, not unbelief, but like a, oh my gosh, like I can't even believe this is happening. I can't believe that I'm a recipient of all of this. And then you need to release it. I know, man, so much alliteration, you'd think we're Baptists with those four R's right there. We're not. But you need to receive it. You need to reflect on it. You need to revel in it. You need to release it. What a thing to hold in your heart to the degree that the Bible tells us we have it and not to let others benefit from it. It can't be like that. It can't be. So here's how I'm ending with this question How will you love someone this week? How will you love someone this week? The love of Christ has been poured. Romans 5 tells us the love of Christ has been poured into your hearts by the Holy Spirit. We always have to be asking ourselves is it losing its flavor? Does God's love go unpracticed in your life? It's kind of like when you leave a bottle of Coke opened without drinking it. What happens? It loses its bite, right? It loses its flavor. It becomes LaCroix. <laughs> so we have to ask ourselves this question Are we pouring out the love that's been poured into us? Are we practitioners of gospel love? Because Brothers and sisters, it is, it is all there. It is all there, it has all been given to you. And in fact, we're gonna celebrate that. We're gonna celebrate that love poured into us, poured out from Christ into us as we gather around the Lord's table this morning, remembering that it's because of Christ's death that we can be characterized by love. It's because of Christ's death that we enjoy the fruit of the spirit of love that can be more characteristic of us. And so this morning, like we do on the second Sunday of every month, we're going to receive this self-giving gospel love. We're going to symbolically eat the body of Christ. We're going to drink his blood, which sounds strange, until your eyes and heart have been opened to the nature and the beauty and the depth of Christ's love for you. If if you're not somebody that that would just uh, identify as a Christian, if you don't know Christ, we would just ask that you would remain seated uh, this morning. We ask that you would reflect, you would think on what you've heard this morning. You would ask some questions about the love of God and what you may have misunderstood about it all of these years and it might be that there's something happening inside you that says no no I want that love it is so distinctly lacking in my life I want to know the love of Christ and we would love to pray with you after the service we would love to talk to you it would be a brave thing for you to approach one of us on this platform to talk about what I just said I want to know the love of Christ Ronnie But we would ask that you would take that brave step so that we can sit down with you and just tell you a little bit about our story. And we would love to hear a little bit about your story. And we would love to tell you how God has transformed us of all people with the love of Christ.